Well, here we are. Today is the first year of our Lord 2017. We've made it this far, right? Many people have have been calling, in fact, in the news and uh, in the media to for 2016 to come to an end because... <clears throat> Why? Because we don't want to lose any more celebrities. It it seems that for some reason only the lives and deaths of celebrities get celebrated and uh, the rest of our lives just come and go in relative anonymity. Who was he again? That type of thing. Also, for the past week, the news agencies have been focusing on what else has made news this year, from Brexit to Trump and and the rest. On the economic front, the economists and accountants and everybody else throw figures about, about our growth and how much your house used to be worth and what percentage has gone up this year and how you've benefited and your superannuation, and so on and so forth. Now, all of this stuff is, is the, the physical, the material, the visible things of this world that we seem to spend so much of our lives on. And it seems to fit perfectly well with an earthly perspective on things. So what I want to focus on this morning is rather than focus on these things, even though we will be talking about them, is developing a heavenly perspective. And while today might just be another numerical marking on a calendar, it does give us time to look at the road ahead of us. And what will be our focus? What are we going to be focusing on? The past, the present, it doesn't take all that long for the present to become the past, mind you. The past, the present, the future. And they say that, uh, well, we, we are living in a, in, a, in a time when there is so many mental health issues out there and, and they're very real. And they say that, for example, depression results when a person cannot deal with the past. That stress is the result when we cannot cope with the present demands. And finally, anxiety is there because we get really worked up about the future, what is ahead. And those tend to be the three areas that get talked a lot about in the media. And as a result of all of this, some people just come to the conclusion that it's all just too hard and therefore I just want to curl up in a fetal position and simply give up, give up on life. One would think that us Christians would be immune to these feelings and these stuff that the world faces that that are so prevalent in our day and age. But we are not. We're not, in fact, immune. And this is evidence of what Jesus said to his disciples in the garden before he was about to be handed over to the authorities. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
When we come together as, as God's children, we focus a lot on the Spirit. That's where we want to be. But the reality of our lives is we spend a lot of our time in this flesh. This is the flesh and blood that we face. So this morning I want to look at a passage where God, through the Apostle Paul, challenges us not to, not to lose heart. Not to lose heart. I wonder why the Apostle Paul spoke about losing heart. Another version simply says that giving up. We understand, about, we understand the term giving up. Why? Because the Apostle Paul faced discouragement like most of us. And in some parts you pick up certainly on some of his discouragement in his letters, in the epistles. He wasn't this type of fellow who, who never felt down, who never knew the lows. He did, very much so. Why? Because he was at the forefront, he was at the coalface, the challenges of ministry and mission. He lived a life full of passion, but that doesn't mean that he was immune to feeling quite down. And this is why Paul twice says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he begins the chapter, it's one of the great chapters in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 4. And 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 he begins the chapter by saying we do not lose heart, we don't give up. And then he picks it up again in verse 16, we don't give up. Twice in this chapter he uses that phrase. So firstly... We need to face one reality, verse 16, one reality. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying. Our outer man is decaying. That's one reality. This one we can see. We see it in the mirror, in the morning. It is the visible, material, the physical world that this world is made of. While God made everything perfect in our series in Genesis. We've certainly looked at the fact that because of sin, all material reality now has a use-by date, including us. We simply have to face the fact that our outward man is deteriorating, growing weak and feeble and subject to groaning and agony. I like to use the description fading glory. It's just fading away. It's not just the way we feel. It is actually happening to us physically. It's not just a state of mind, all right? It's actually happening. Scientists use the term apoptosis, apoptosis to describe this program cell death. It's not as if we go out deliberately and try and kill these cells. They just die. That's the God put a use by date on them. In the average human adult, between 50 and 70 billion cells die each day. There's a lot of dying happening in us, right? Do you feel it? It's sad, isn't it? Wow, nobody does a funeral for any of those cells. There's 50 or 70, there's too many of them, right? They're just gone. And they're part of us. And perhaps the, now, 
thank God that they are being replaced, most of them. don't know about the brain cells, but the, the rest of them tend to get replaced. Perhaps the, the impact of outwardly wasting away is somewhat lost, I suppose, on the young people and our kids as it goes against where they are at. We've been there, right? So we understand where they're at. You feel like your whole life is certainly ahead of you and that you will live forever, that you can conquer anything. But no, when in moments of reflection, you know, you know you won't conquer everything. A generation that seems so obsessed with image, selfies and all of that, soon you will discover that image is not everything and that all those photos that you loaded on Facebook and everything else, when you look at them 20 years from now, you'll just be a reminder of what you used to be. You like looking at the photos of the old days or you say, no, it's too depressing. They say, no, I don't want to look at them anymore. Simply, if you don't believe what I'm saying, just simply ask any of the elderly folk here, like myself, uh, and they will tell you, we've been there, we've done that. Visited my parents this week, your mum and dad, who held you in their arms. You, you admired this man who would just conquer everything, walk work, carry you, carry the whole family, non-stop. You seem feeble, struggling every morning. And reality hits home, folks. But soon you will have to say goodbye to them. And you know that the time will come sooner than you think. And because they're in the Lord, they are Christians, I will come, I will have to come to the time when I will have to say not goodbye to my parents, but I'll see you later. I'll see you later in a more perfect, perfect in every way condition, a new body, a new everything, total, total transformation in the Lord. But the reason, so, There is another reality. There is another reality. And that's our second point. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light, affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. This one we cannot see. And this is what makes it hard. And difficult to understand, to comprehend, to, to attain, to, to live by. It is invisible because it is in this spiritual realm. Over and against that first reality that we can see the decay happening, there is this beautiful and wonderful reality at work within us. While we are dying on the outside, On the inside, in the realm of the Spirit, we are being renewed by God every single day. 
And these things happen at the same time. There's an inverse correlation between one and the other. We are dying, yet we are becoming more and more alive. We are falling apart, yet a renovation is happening right inside of us. While on the outside the glory fades, on the inside the glory gets brighter and brighter. The heavenly perspective comes into focus, it becomes less fuzzy as, 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 as the earthly glories are dim. Yes, it is an extraordinary reality. And it's here in the scriptures, it's there to remind us that this is what is happening. And this is why we do not surrender. This is why we don't give up. This is why we do not lose heart. Why? Well, Paul tells us, for starters, our afflictions are momentary. Momentary. Momentary afflictions. This doesn't mean that the pain only lasts an hour or a day. It means that for those of us who are in Christ, the pain can only last a lifetime. Man, that sounds so depressing. But it's only a lifetime. Okay? Which is momentary. It's only a small moment compared to millions of years and eternity which cannot be measured. It is only a moment, less than a moment in light of eternity. As bad and horrible as my afflictions and circumstances are, they will end. I can guarantee you that. What I need to get hold of is this truth and not allow it this these afflictions and pain and whatever it is we're going, these circumstances, to have the last say in my life because they will embitter you. They will turn you against your loved ones and will start taking, it will start affecting the work that God is doing in your life. Because what you want is God to have the last say on your life, not your problems, not the issues, not your circumstances. The other reality is that these afflictions are light. When Paul says that his afflictions are light, he doesn't mean they are easy or painless. He means that compared to what is coming, they are as nothing. Now, if you ever read of the Apostle Paul and his, his afflictions and the stuff that he went through, um, you're probably saying, well, he must have been, you know, he must have been on something. He must have been on some type of powder or something that he was sniffing in order for him to just see everything that he was going through as, as light. He, he, what? Perhaps he didn't go through what I had to go through. In fact, 
quite a few times in this letter. He gives us a list of his life afflictions. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was jailed. He was mobbed. He was starved. All of that. And then a modern day Australian cynic would say, well, that's just bad luck, isn't it? Poor fellow. That's his life. He chose it. Let him deal with it. It's like some tragic movie. But it's not about bad luck. It's real life. And it's the life that God chose for Paul when he called him. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And he did. And he did. That's the path that God chose for him. And God has chosen a path for each of us. The challenge could be at work. The challenge could be in your family. The challenge could be something physical. The challenge is spiritual. That's every one of us. And it's a path that God has chosen for us. But it is light. Because when compared to the weight of glory coming, they're like, I don't know, feathers on a scale. The third thing about this reality is that it is productive. It is productive. Here we come to another one of those nuggets in Scripture. Gold, pure gold. This is a verse that is so full of possibilities. So you can look at it. It's 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 a beautiful image that you can look at it from so many different angles and ponder it for days. In fact, uh, C.S. Lewis preached a, a great sermon which he called the, great, the, the weight of glory, he called it, based on this verse. And, and it, this is what he said. This is what he said in, in his sermon. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Man tries to fill the hunger in his heart with constant sugar hits, one after the other. I need that, I need that. It's not sugar, it's caffeine or it's something to pick you up, something to push you down, whatever it is. All the while God is preparing a banquet. This is why we have afflictions and trials. They are sent from God to us Because God does not want to allow us to get too comfortable in this life. If you get too comfortable in the couch, he will put a little little needle or thumbtack just in your backside to get you out of the couch. Because he says, no, I don't want you to sit down. 
this is not your home. This is, this is not your rest. I'm preparing a rest somewhere else next to me. And, and so what does this... He loves us too much to leave us as we are. He loves us too much for that. I want you to understand that. When he sends trials, it's not because he hates us. It's because of his love. So what does an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison mean? Well, here Paul is, 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 is linking directly the afflictions and the struggles of our present time with the glory. What, he, what he's really saying is that there is a direct link between the affliction and the glory. There's a, a direct link. Not only are the afflictions preceding the glory, they, the afflictions are actually helping produce the glory. There's a real causal connection between how we endure hardship and how we will be able to enjoy the glory of God in the ages to come. What that means is that in God's economy, not one pain, not one agony, not one struggle is meaningless and therefore wasted. From his heavenly perspective, from this heavenly perspective, the one is preparing the way for the other. The weight of glory for me is best way to describe it is like a bit of a, a counterbalance. There's a lot of cranes out on the skyline around Sydney. There's cranes everywhere, right? Now, I don't know if you ever stuck in a traffic light or whatever and just lifted your eyes, got nothing better to do than wait in traffic, and just look at some of these cranes sort of swiveling around. And so there is this long arm that reaches up like this and then there's really just a very short back end of it. Now, that back end actually weighs as much as that long arm. It is a counterweight. So that the lift, when it does, the one thing is it won't tip over, it won't break, but it, it, it helps, that's the weight, the whole thing just won't fall apart. So this is what the Apostle Paul is saying, that that, that, that weight of glory provides a counterbalance for our lives so that we won't fall apart. So that we will be able to work, to function, knowing that all these other stuff that we have to lift, that, that life seems heavy and everything else, is that, well, I'm, I'm there, mate. I'm, I'm there. And you put that together with Jesus' words that my burden is light and all that, it makes sense. The weight of glory. The weight of glory is lifting us up to his glory. What is happening to Paul is not momentary, but it is eternal. It is not light, but it is weighty. It's not affliction, it's glory. And it is beyond all comprehension. Which leads us to the last point, which is also a question. Where will you focus on? Where will you focus on? Well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, 
but the things which are not seen are eternal. In short, we are given a choice. You choose where you want to set your sights on. Will it be here or will it be there? I'm not saying ignore here. In in Buddhism, basically all of this world is simply, uh, it doesn't exist. It's simply, it's not real. But Christianity does not deny the material world. God created this. It's a material reality. What God has done because of sin is put a use-by date on it. So we don't ignore here, but we need to see beyond this visible, temporal, material reality that is around us and focus on the unseen reality. And more and more it appears that science is actually moving in this this direction. Agreeing with what the Bible has been telling us all along. That even though they would not admit it, obviously, that it's been there all along in the Bible. Modern scientific thought is, is coming to the realisation that behind the visible material things that we see and measure and taste and touch and feel are invisible forces which no one can see or taste or touch or feel. There is so much more to this reality that we see. Perhaps our minds might grasp it, but you know, our emotions and our experience struggle with it, don't they? As we said at the beginning, that uh, the news each day tends to focus on the rise and the fall of the fame of celebrities because at least they're celebrities, so their lives have amounted to, amounted to some, something significant. Yes, even King Kardashian has achieved something in life. I don't know what it is. But it's something. Because compared to our lives, their lives are much more exciting. So it seems. But is that reality? God looks at our lives differently. In God's eyes... I want you to understand this, young and old alike. Through God's perspective, there are no celebrities. Okay? God doesn't pick up the newspaper and says, Oh, this is what's happening. He doesn't check up on Facebook and says, Oh, really? Look at your status and your selfies and all that stuff. Gee, Paul, you've aged, mate. What happened? Again, quoting C.S. Lewis on the weight of glory, he says, And I want you to hear this. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit, immortal horrors, or everlasting splendours. In God's eyes, there are no ordinary people. 
Every human being is created in the image of God. And behind every event we know that it is all working out just as God had said it would. Nothing escapes his sovereign reign. We tend to see what we want to see. The news focuses on newsworthy things and they take us in that direction or in that direction. And we tend to not see because our eyes are guided by somebody else. But you see, God is saying, lift your eyes, open your eyes. Paul uses the, the word here that means to gaze intently upon. This is, what meant, this is what he talks about. While we look at the things that are seen, but at the things, you know, we don't want to look at the things that are seen. We want to look at the things that are not seen. How do you look at the things that are not seen? Well, you need spiritual eyes that only God can give you. It is a conscious choice that look at reality through his word, through the Holy Spirit. That is the only way that we can understand what is happening. What is seen is temporary. I'm glad about that because it means that death is also temporary. It doesn't feel that way right now, but for the believer... Life has been let loose, released, conquered through the victorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is why believers in Christ by faith can actually see the unseen. Yes, the people of the world will continue to think that we're nuts. This is only because they can't see what we see. And the only reason we can see anything is because God in his grace has opened our eyes to see reality, the eternal reality, not the earthly one. Uh, John Newton, famous words and amazing grace, I once was lost but now I'm found, was blind but now I see. It's clear, isn't it? was blind but now I see. Consider what is happening to us. We are dying, we are living. We are falling apart, we are being renewed. We are heading towards death, we are experiencing new life. That's why the Apostle Paul isn't overly worried about whether or not his enemies actually kill him. If they do, he wins. If they don't, he still wins. We're on the winning side, folks. You don't have to wait 90 minutes for the end to see who wins. All right? We're already on the winning side. It's boring, isn't it? God wins. We just have to believe it. We have to accept it. May God help us to see things this way. And I want to close with Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4 from the, the New Living Translation, which again... The Apostle Paul writing to a church to help them to lift their eyes. And this is what he says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, 
where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. He doesn't stop there. He says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you die to this life and your real life, that's the reality, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, because there will come a time when the whole world will reluctantly need to see him, every knee will bow. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Amen to that.